0: I'd like to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 12, and we'll finish this 12th chapter, which will serve as a great place uh, to take a break over the summer. Once we get to chapter 13, those events will take place in the upper room where Jesus will wash his disciples' feet. Chapter 14 is on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. We get into the vine and the branches and the high priestly prayer, but those things will be uh, our, our study in the fall. Um, we're going to be taking a, a, a break with the book of Jonah. That's what we're going to do over the summer, so that being a short book, if you'd like to read ahead uh, between now and next week, you may even be able to read through it several times And uh, I'll send an email uh, later in the week, perhaps tomorrow morning, uh, with uh, a link to the notebooks that many of you have been using, those scripture journals with the text on one side and the blanks on the other, which give us a good way to keep notes as we go. Some have said, um, warn me first before you change books, so I'll have a chance to get one. Um, Well, I'll get you the link for that tomorrow. But let me read for us. Our portion for today, and this is verse 44 of the 12th chapter of John. We'll read this, we'll pray, and then we'll study what amounts to Jesus' last words to the public before the short few days before his death, burial, and resurrection, in which his conversation is only private with his disciples and a few others. This is verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. I say as the Father has told me. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your words publicly in this setting that John doesn't necessarily describe. But Lord, may we learn from your words as we learn from all your words. And may we be the student. May you be our teacher May we understand these things in order to obey them. We thank you for this opportunity today. And may you give us what's necessary to never take these things for granted. We ask all this in your precious and wondrous name. Amen. Well, John concludes his account of the public ministry of Jesus right here. We mentioned that last week that it was coming That his summary of what had taken place so far had already begun in the previous passage which we discussed last week. But this amounts to one last appeal to believe. The word is there. John's been talking about believing against unbelief thus far. He will continue to do so. But this seems to end or complete one major uh, leg of the journey. And where he's had some hard hitting things to say to some groups, most significantly those that oppose Jesus, the rulers, the scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, Sanhedrin. Uh, This seems to sound more like one last tender, heartfelt appeal to believe. Jesus came that men might be saved. And he has said to the crowd, although if you remember the last mention of that word, crowd, was a couple of weeks ago. Doubtless there are others listening beside his disciples. This seems to be quite obviously a public setting. But he told them then, the last time we saw them, several paragraphs earlier, that they had the light for a little while longer. It seems as if this now is certainly last call. Their chances to hear him speak, explain things, speak in parables, do miracles, all of those opportunities have now ended. Now, what we've got here in these seven verses, 44 through 50, practically speaking, we've got all the major themes we've studied since the prologue. And really, if you match them up, the first 18 verses we began with in chapter 1, uh, the contents of those and these seven verses are almost the same. There's nothing new here. Uh, There's no unveiling or uncovering. There's no uh, new rollout at the last words of Jesus. It's all the same thing. It amounts to a review. I almost thought about not saying that word review because I know what happened when I heard the word review and any time I was sitting and supposed to be learning. Oh, we've already heard all this before. It's a review. I'd start drawing or whatever else. But this is the most important review you'll ever hear or that these people will have ever heard. And just as we've seen these themes before, they're also given in the same type of relationship to their counterpart or even the opposite that they're usually mentioned against or in relation to. Uh, if, if you look at verse 44, Jesus cried out and said, the first word there, whoever, and then believes. We've heard that in John 3. And in John 3.16, if, if you recall when we studied that, for God so loved the world... That he gave his only son that whoever believes. We talked about those two words. World and whoever. And how Jesus was sent as light into the world. In order to tell the gospel. To whoever would believe it. That, that, that not, the whole world isn't going to be saved. But the offer is to whoever would believe. They are saved out of that world. We see the same thing in this passage. The world is. And whoever, Also in this passage we see belief over against unbelief. This book is written that you might believe. The whole book is about believing in Jesus. Who He is and who He said He was. And it's, it, it's given to us against this backdrop of massive unbelief at every turn. That was last week. After all that He did, nobody believed in Him. You see that here too. Also we see uh, sight or seeing against Blindness, that again was last week, where Jesus is speaking in such a way that as He speaks the truth, some are drawn toward Him and some are hardened. Their eyes grow dim. Their hearts are hardened and and, and all sensitivity to His message is either softening or hardening. The idea of light and darkness, that's also here. Same from the prologue. Hearing, hearing, Versus stopped ears. Rejection is in these seven verses. As well as receiving the words that Jesus is saying. We've got judgment here. And we've got salvation. We've also got the Father described apart from the Son. The Son being sent by the Father. We've got authority. As well as obedience to the authority that was given by the Father to the Son. And we've got life. And we've got eternal life. All of the contents of what we've seen so far are represented in these last words. And the way John proceeds with them from the previous paragraph, which was quite a plateful last week, and thank you for your your comments, it seems like we were all learning together there, uh, wading through some deep theology, but... From that paragraph into this one, it seems like the section is to press the thought that whatever Jesus' opponents might have said about him, there can be no uncertainty here given Jesus' own words about who he is and why he has come. It's basically the purpose, a restatement, a review in these seven verses as to why Jesus has come and who he actually is. And this is the world's last invitation from the lips of Jesus as to that truth. Verse 44, let's look at it. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. Now, that it says Jesus cried is probably referring not to the volume of his voice, though it seems to include uh, the idea of impassioned speech. It's probably rather referring to his openly testifying within the hearing of all who were there what he's actually saying. And Jesus has consistently declared that he stood before men in the place of God. This is not new. That's how he opens. Whoever believes in me believes in the one who has sent me. So if someone is believing on Jesus, they were believing on God. The man who puts his trust in Jesus puts his trust in God the Father. To trust one is to trust the other, is what Jesus is saying. He couldn't be more clear. The idea is that Jesus is God's agent. And when he asks people to believe him, he is not thinking of himself or his own authority. He has said this over and over and over again. And I almost worry that Christians who are familiar with this who've been in church for some time, and they've heard many, 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 many lessons and messages and sermons and talks, that we almost just breeze right through that without trying to really consider not the contents of what's being said, but the implications, the ramifications of what that means, and especially the people who are standing there and hearing Him with their own ears. Why is it important that Jesus keeps making it very clear that the only thing He says is what God gave Him to say, And that anything that he is is saying is, is not his own words, but words that were given to him by the Father to tell the others. What it means, the ramifications here, the best way I know to explain it, is that just so no one is confused as to who the message is addressed to and who the message is from. Think of it that way. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to the world from God the Father. And the mediator, the messenger, is Jesus Christ. Now this is where we're different than any other religion. Every other religion makes that backwards. Their plan of salvation, whatever it is, is addressed to God from the people that are working their way to Him and some type of means to make themselves fitting for his presence acceptable to him and we've got to be careful we don't look at it the same way we're not working our way toward god that's an impossibility in this case god has come to us in the form of jesus and everything that jesus has done has been by the command of his father and by the terms of his father Jesus is not making any of this up. He's not any special person or another prophet or anything like that giving us clues or a guess or maybe just a new way to think about how we might approach the throne of God. This is to us from God rather than to God from us. Similarly, uh, in verse 45, similarly they had seen him If they had seen him, they had seen God. Look at verse 45. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. It's just another way of saying basically the same thing. Not merely a human agent, not just another prophet, but God himself in the flesh. Look at that verse again. And maybe it'll help you if you're making notes to put a little parenthetical explanation in there. You read the words. Whoever sees me, and you might just put in brackets, in the miracles I have performed, sees, in parentheses, the glory of Him who sent me. When you saw me perform miracles, you're actually seeing the power of God the Father. When you see in your mind's eye and understand what is being said, you're you're seeing the Father, not me. Whose agent is all I am. I'm the messenger. Verse 46 I have come into the world as light, that whoever believes me may not remain in darkness. Again, back to the prologue. These themes are huge, they go all the way back to Genesis, actually. He had brought into the world that which was lost, the world is dark. He's bringing light. We had light and then it was darkened. Where was that light lost if not in the Garden of Eden after sin? And the relationship between God and His creation was estranged and the curse of sin was pronounced on them. Jesus has brought the light back into the darkness. And this is where sometimes I just like to bring up the idea that the best stories that we like... Or read or watch in the form of a movie, all have that theme, don't they? The better ones are light versus darkness, good versus bad. I just wish I had a piece of the money Disney has made off of Star Wars, which is basically a theme stolen from the scriptures. we 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 like these stories. Not because we just like them, but because the truth of it is stamped within us. Hardwired as, as, as manufacture's equipment. In our underst- This is what Paul is talking about. We're without excuse. We know the difference. And this is what we're drawn to. The darkness is the natural state of man under the curse of sin, but Christ came to deliver men and women from that state. It's not his purpose that man should persist in this state. Look at it. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. This is really good medicine for whatever might have been ailing us since last week when we're studying about how God's hand is actually involved in the hardening process of the hearts of men who have willfully and purposefully sinned against the light they've already been given. Well, that's not what Jesus nor God would want to do. What does He want to do? What is He doing? What has He done? What is His purpose? He's a light to make sure that we don't persist in darkness. The purpose of Christ's coming was salvation. He came to deliver us from the darkness, not to imprison us within it. If we're in darkness, we've imprisoned ourselves. Verse 47 if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Here again, John is very meticulous in how he writes, and these again are the words of Jesus. Jesus is talking, John is recording, the Holy Spirit is preserving this through inspiration. But we're invited again To look at the same truth but from the other side. Because it's the same truth in verse 46. He's a light so that we don't stay in the darkness. Verse 47, if someone doesn't keep those words, doesn't do anything with the light that we've been given. Verse 48, rejects me and doesn't receive my words. He's judged. Not necessarily by Jesus, not in this way. So we've got some work to do here. We're invited to look on the other side. What we've got in verse 47 are those who own a superficial faith. Type from chapter 2, chapter 6. What we were looking at in chapter 12 as well in certain places. A faith that hears but does not obey. These are those who have an intelligent understanding of Jesus' teaching but do not keep it. They don't do anything with it. They don't act on it. It doesn't make a difference. They are certainly unjustifiably condemned. We've got to read a little further to see how that shakes out. But some people like to object right here. They want to say, you you just wait a minute. You just read it right there. Jesus says that He does not judge them. Well, that was not His purpose for coming the first time. His purpose for coming was to seek and to save that which was lost they're already judged we learn that in chapter three he didn't come to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved and then those who don't believe are condemned already back from the garden of eden it's because of our sin and the wage of sin is death so perhaps jesus is responding to the charge that his preaching was too hard that's possibility even though he's not trying to change course or tell them, well, you're just not looking at it right. It's hard, all right. And there will be a judgment. But his purpose is to seek and save that which is lost. Look at verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Who is the judge? The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Nothing is swept under the rug. We'd love to interpret that in verse 47. That Jesus is just going to forget some stuff. It doesn't work that way. It would be a breach of God's holiness. God himself would be undone. So where the saving word, that is the light, the message, the good news, the gospel, however you want to refer to it, wherever that is spoken, but where the world is Rejecting the light, rejecting and despising the word, those men do not go unjudged. Jesus says he has a judge, and the judge is the word of the gospel rejected. That will be the judgment against him. I think with me through something that might help uh, put it into perspective. Over the last several years, uh, the North Carolina coast has had a number of uh, very dangerous, very powerful hurricanes. Uh, last year's Dorian actually made it to Category 5 and then clipped you know, the Outer Banks. Uh, you might remember uh, Florence, Matthew. I remember Matthew. Messed up my vacation, but when I got down there, the fishing was really good but massive amounts of rain along with 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 those storms i'm sure so many of you have been doing this longer than i have but once hurricane season starts and then once it really gets to gathering um, late august into october maybe even to november you start watching those reports i find it Fascinating. Big storms seem to be like a magnet for curiosity just to watch. And then for those who have homes that could be in the path of some of these storms, we watch and we wait. And as the forecasters gather information and the time shortens, they're able to project. And based on those projections, they start out with something called a watch. That means that conditions as they are give a likely probability a possibility of hurricane force conditions for this area. And then as it gets closer, they can, they can draw that in with more specificity, and it becomes a warning. A warning means it's inevitable that these types of conditions are going to happen in this place. And then as it gets even closer, and probably somewhere between the watch and the warning, they've begun to issue evacuations. Get out of here. It's coming. And if you don't get out of here, you could be hurt or lose your life. One of the things that always amazes me is how some people stay. Now, I would love to stay. I would like to be able to sit on that, uh, that, that thing out on the end of frying pan shoals that the fellow bought and has turned into a bed and breakfast. I think it'd be, but there's no guarantee of anyone's safety. A storm is coming. It could be the end of you. I know it might be fun to watch, but you might be dead. And always to to watch as the storm comes and the coverage is going crazy and it always is overstated. But then you'll have some that you know they're interviewed. Well, we've been through this, that, and the other. And I was a baby when Hazel came, or whatever. And. Uh, It's always sad and you have this feeling, I hope everything's okay. Now suppose they stay and they're videoing these things and you're watching them on Facebook. But then it's worse than it's supposed to be. Or it lands precisely where they've passed the point of, of any options for escape. Wouldn't you say that from the top of the authority that would have... Anything to say to that, all the way down to us sitting on the couch watching the news or Facebook. What sits in judgment on that person? The warning. They were told. I'm told for days. I have got the whole Weather Bureau and European models and American models and experimental models. They call them spaghetti models. Stay out of here. Get away. Save yourself. This is going to hurt really bad or you'll be dead. But they don't do it. The warning sits in judgment on them. That's just a hurricane. We're talking about the promised wrath of a holy God who has pronounced a curse on sin, payable upon death. He's not changing his mind. He can't. Now, he has provided a way to put that judgment on the sinless shoulders of his son. But it will require that you take that light and believe it. And if you do, you have eternal life. For someone to say, I'll take my chances. The view from the storm is going to be amazing. That will be your judgment. The truth is, Of salvation from the mouth of the Son of God. Will sit in judgment on you. They've heard this stuff for years. Three years worth of things that Jesus has said. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That sounds good. Maybe they're not so tired. Jesus said whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Most people are wrapped up in their temporal life. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The world says I have my own definition of abundance and I'll hang on to that. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You can escape it. I don't think everybody believes in heaven. We talked about that before. It's just most people have the tendency to worry about that after it's too late. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Though, we're always amazed at the lies that each other will believe. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. The Bible tells us men love darkness rather than light. Jesus said, I will give you bread of life and rivers of living water. We, we, we looked at both of those. We know we're hungry and we know we're thirsty. And all that we eat and all that we drink just makes us more hungry and makes us more thirsty. Jesus says he can fix that on a spiritual level. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, everyone will look at me and they'll be saved. Which is basically saying, you get life for a look. And no one's looking. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. We listen to the most exclusive statement ever uttered from the lips of any human. These are from the lips of God. And we say, I'll take my chances. So again, the idea from last week is the same message from this paragraph. The same gospel that proclaims life and forgiveness in the ears of one person. Proclaims condemnation and wrath to the other who doesn't believe it. It's the same gospel. What it means And what it implies is up to the believer. So anyone who rejects Jesus, going back to verse 48, that is, the one who has heard his words but does not believe them, as they were meant to be taken, Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The storm is coming, you've heard the warning. Verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What's the commandment? What to say and what to speak. What he is saying in the strongest, possible, clearest, unambiguous words is that this saving word did not originate in human form. Remember, this is from his father. So he's going back to the previous thought. His deliberate subordination of himself to the message was given, cuts off any notion that asking people to believe his words seeks to feed his own ego or reaches to claim anything beyond the authority that the father has given him. Probably need to read that again. This is what is being said in verse 49. His deliberate subordination of himself to the command the message from the father that was given to him cuts off any notion that asking people to believe his words seeks to feed his own ego or to reach any claim beyond the authority that the father has given him remember not to confuse the to and the from this is from heaven to man rather than, than from man to heaven. You know, there's always those fellows that pop up with their own little websites. One hurricane's coming. Oh, I think it's going to do this. Everybody else is saying it's going to do this. And really, who gets it right? Nobody. It's going to do what it's going to do. We can guess. And sometimes we're wrong. But what Jesus is going to make sure nobody is confused He's not one of those guys with his own website saying, you know what, everybody else is saying this, but I'm saying this over here. He is saying, no, God is saying this. It's God's message. I didn't make this up. I'm not gathering a crowd. And if anybody's paying attention, there isn't one. People have been walking away from him, not gathering to him. Any man who would dare preach the words of God must exemplify the same posture. Because any type of gathering, praise, and strengthening of an ego actually goes against the message. That would, that would damage the message Jesus gave if he were looking to build his own brand. And it can absolutely destroy the power of the message in any church that does the same. Just think about it. How much of this gospel that we've studied so far is something that the world would embrace and flock toward? How much of what has been said would the world consider cool? Anyone that's ever gone after trying to Build a cool church has done one of two things either miserably failed or abandoned to the gospel. Because Jesus was never cool. Cool is the world's term. Sorry. I think church is cool, but I'm a Christian, I'm part of the family. The Lord has saved me, so it's obviously cool. But those that are lost would never say that was cool. If they're saying it's cool, then Jesus isn't part of it because Jesus said, they hated me and they will hate you. So if we're building cool church, something's wrong, dreadfully wrong. And if we put our messages such that people leave feeling better when they left than when they came in and in a selfish type of way, Jesus is not in the message. He can't be. And if we're adding anything that we don't necessarily see in these seven verses or the first 18 of John's gospel, then we're adding to this business for which Jesus came. And it's not going to work. Verse 50. The last point is to return to the first, even a clearer articulation of what is meant to be said here by Jesus. He said, and I know that his commandment, remember what was the commandment from the previous verse, what to say and what to speak, the message, the gospel given to him by the Father, not to build his brand. That commandment, that message is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus is saying I'm stuck with the same message. It's been the same message from day 1. It'll be the same message when the trumpet blows. Jesus is not a figure of independent greatness. And no man who dares to preach his gospel should ever consider himself a figure of independent grace, greatness. It's the word of God from the word of God, Jesus himself. Or Jesus is nothing at all. And what has the Father commanded His Son? If you were to boil down everything in the first 12 chapters, sometimes it can be dangerous trying to boil it down and get it into something that sounds nice or would go on a bumper sticker. It's basically this with explanation needed, of course. To go into the world is light. And to create life out of death. Jesus is light, headed for a dark world to create life out of death. That's who he is. That's what he's here to do. So these are the last words of Jesus. What do you think? Is this what you would have expected? I always like to think of it that way. All right. And maybe that would be the way to have started this. Here's what you've got here. This is Jesus' last public talk. After this, he's going to the upper room with his disciples. He's hours away from his death. This is the last time he's going to be on record in front of a group of people. So this is it. This, these are his last words on record. We, we usually remember that of people. What, what was the last thing they said? Because they tend to be very important. Are we overwhelmed? Are we underwhelmed? Are we entertained? Is this what we would expect? We know what he did because we just read it and studied it. And it's nothing new. It's a review. Maybe the better question is what he didn't do. Maybe you think about it. We started to see cracks in... uh, Jesus Incorporated, or Team Jesus, or whatever you would call him, his words, his movement, and the people that followed him, as early as chapter 6, they started leaving. After they got up the next morning, found him, wondered if he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, told him, you're just here to eat again. And then by the end of the day, he told them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And people were walking away. And he asked the disciples if they're going away too. And then you kind of get to the part in the next chapter where his brothers think they've got a fix for it. You need to go to the feast. And you need to do your miracles in front of a whole crowd. And if you'll do that, you might be able to, to you know, stop the bleeding here. And if this is a business, if, if Jesus is publicly traded he's missed earnings his revenue is is abysmal shareholders are not just selling they're, they're shorting and he's got one last time to do something about it so what does he do does he find a middle of the road thing does he bring out something new innovative, something that uh people want or will want to buy you know maybe uh coke classic in doing it you need new coke or, or maybe that's the problem you need to go back to coke classic you know we've got examples in the market of how people posture themselves to get sales back up to to find interest to roll something out what does jesus do none of that you know if he'd have just said uh, okay guys Love God and obey the Torah. That's it. They'd have probably said, <laughs> that's about right. Now, if, if you can feed us again, we got ourselves a king. Right? That's, that's what the Jews would have wanted. Popularize it for today. Let's just get all the thorns and the pricklies out of it. Love God and love people, which is the greatest commandments. But we're going to need more than that. That won't get us to heaven. We're going to need a a, a bloody cross in, in our place to pay for the sins that were charged against God's holiness shortly after He said this is good. That's what we're going to need. So we're going to need more than love God and love people. Maybe it's just something... Uh, don't be mean to people. I, I think we could probably fill a church up on that. Because it's younger generation. If they've got one allergy, it's mean people. But what if we just started a church and kept to the script? You've got problems, Jesus has answers. But your biggest one is God Himself because you've sinned against Him. And without His Son in your place... You're going to be punished eternally for it. Don't check the stock. She's tanking. world doesn't want to hear that. They're not listening. They're not believing. It's not complicated. If you just extract what's here in little tangible words to try to put it into perspective. Hearing and keeping... Seeing and believing. Hear what God says. Keep it to heart. See Him for who He is. And believe it. That's His message. For those with ears to hear. Eyes to see. It's everlasting life. I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say. Therefore I say. As the Father has told me. This is grace from God. Addressed to the earth. You don't have to die. I'm here to do it for you. If you believe who I am. That is the message. Of grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for last words. Certainly not the end of the revelation of scripture. But. Seems to have the smack of finality for those who are listening. Lord, may it not be too late for others who have put it off. Tuned it out. Lord, may they hear. And may they listen. May they see. May they believe. Lord, save someone today. Over an internet connection. May the truth of your word explode into belief you're drawing them to yourself lord may they ask questions until they have answers search the scriptures talk to others who they know know you but lord save some on mother's day thank you so much for our time together but thank you more for your word thank you for this church and for your grace gifts of each other As we do this together, Lord, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen.